Hey, this is Carrie from Wrap Your Head Around Silks. This is the Expecting Aerialists podcast, now part of the Digitant family of podcasts. How's it going, guys? Hope you're having a wonderful week. Before we get started, uh, teacher training June 24th to 25th, Los Angeles, in-person, hybrid model. We're going to do Zoom for a month beforehand and then two intensive days in Los Angeles where you guys get to really learn how to teach. So I'm so excited to offer that for the first time. This is the pre-launch and there's a whopping $300 off because I'm testing the format, textbook, etc. So if you are interested, apply um, in the show notes. And today we have Laura Evans. She's an aerialist, instructor, mom of two. And her and I connected because on one of my episodes I was talking about the idea of losing my identity as a single person, as a, as a person who could just go wherever I wanted. And, um, but I never really lost my aerial identity because I, I do it for money and I have a job in it and I never really had that experience, but she reached out to me and she said, I have a really like different perspective on this. She's a a doctor, a research scientist And she went through the process of potentially losing her aerial identity. She she has not, but the anxiety and fear around that. And it was such a different perspective that I didn't consider. And we have what I consider a like completely intriguing, fascinating conversation about it. I also joke that no one else in the world might find it fascinating, but people like us. So, um, yeah, I thought it was so so intriguing. All right, guys, let's get started. I think you call us hobbyists. Um, I recently got comfortable calling myself at least ex semi-professional. I I feel like when I was practicing, I always looked up to people in LA and Vegas and I was like, I'm never going to look like them. But, you know, I did perform on the side for money fairly regularly so it it counts (laughs) uh you know i'm a professional and so is the you know no me the soloist at Cirque du Soleil we are not at the same level you know (laughs) and and i'm a professional and so is somebody who is 20 something and i'm much later in my career than they are you know so Okay, so uh, I have finally gotten my act together and we are recording on everything. Uh, Podcast Mm -hmm. listeners, do you like to go by Laura Shankman Evans? Is that your name? No, um, so I go by Dr. Shankman at my my real work, my full-time work, um, but I am Laura Evans. Uh, Laura, what kind of doctor are you? Uh, I'm a doctor of physiology, so I I hate it when people say it, but it's easiest to say I'm not a real doctor. (laughs) I'm a research scientist, so. You're a research scientist, so you don't practice in an office and see patients. Correct. Okay. Okay. Well, that's an easy way to put it. Um, All right. So what happened was, Laura, I had had a podcast episode where I was talking to someone about the thought of the feeling of leaving your practice and my students who are very serious hobbyists would be so emotionally wrought with stress and anxiety about leaving their practice way more, way more than the professionals around me. And I, I was contemplating that and why that was and why they were that their, their height of anxiety was way worse. Yes, we're going to Hawaii. She's talking about our vacation with my my parents in May. Oh, that's going to be so much fun. Yeah, yeah. Hey, Bean, can I keep on going? (laughs) I'm going to continue, okay? Okay. (laughs) So, Laura had, and I, I didn't know Laura before this, but she messaged me on one of the, you know, Facebook or Instagram. And she said, I think I have a different perspective on that. I was like, Oh my God, please 
please do share. And she wasn't ready at that time. She's gone through a lot since then. She had a kid. Second. Second kid. So, Laura, if you could start at the beginning, introduce yourself, uh, talk a little bit about your family, and then uh, we'll, we'll get into that topic, as well as talking about your prenatal and postpartum experience, if there's anything that stands out to you. Um, yes, please honor us. So my name is Laura Evans. Uh, for many, many years, um, I went by Laura Shankman before I got married. And <clears throat> I'm now the mother of two children, uh, one who, a little boy who's three and a half, and um, my little girl who just turned seven months old. And they are wonderful kids. I love them so much. Um, but it was a huge, I think for everyone having kids, it's like a huge culture shock to the system. Like I went from working in a lab to teaching, practicing, dancing 12, 14 hours a week on top of my 40 to 50 hour job to suddenly like barely having a half hour to stretch and warm up and maybe getting one hour a week to practice or dance. And uh, it was just a very, for my son, it was a very difficult transition. Uh, I felt horrible when I was pregnant. A lot of people talk about like postpartum depression. I think I had prenatal depression. Oh, really? Just like I would cry all the time, like, oh, my life, I, I wanted my son as planned, but um, it was, I knew my life was going to have to change a lot. But, you know, the day I had him, all those thoughts left my head. Like I had no postpartum depression. I was like, okay, I'm a mom. This is great. Um, so that's, I don't know, me, me in a nutshell. So that is so interesting to me because I had the opposite. So many people have the opposite. That is a huge shift to go from that much work and dance, etc. So the baby came. How long was it until you went back to your job job? Uh, for my son, I had about three months off, um, which... Um, the culture in research science has changed for the better in even just five years. Um, so when I was pregnant with my son, there was technically no maternity paternity leave offered. Um, it was very hush hush. My funding agency, we just didn't report to them that I was taking time off um, because I could have gotten in trouble for not just saying I need time off. Don't give me any money. Um, <laughs> and then since having my son, they instituted a minimum, well, not a minimum, the eight weeks paid leave, um, plus your disability, which I always hate that it's called disability leave. Um, so for my daughter, I was going to do just that now paid three months on the books and, uh, my husband and I talked about it and actually taking a full year off. I'm in the unpaid portion of it now um, to kind of just figure life out and, you know, what's happening next. So you prefer a little bit more time off from yes. work. So yeah. that whole situation with your whole life changing, because I, when you said that, it made me think, Oh, did that mean you wanted to go back to work as soon as possible just to have a little <laughs> bit of that balance back? No. So, so this kind of gets into the topic we were discussing wanting to cover in this episode is that I really wanted that time for my body to recover so that maybe by the time I went back to work, I'd be able to do some of those hobbies that I liked in that short amount of time I have free. Um, unfortunately, with my son, I had a C-section. He um, 
he was Frank Breach, and we tried an ECV. So Frank Breach is when uh, the butt is down near your cervix, and the feet and the hands and head and everything are up high. Um, like he's doing a pancake straddle in my belly. <laughs> and uh that was that was like so distressing for me because I was like gung-ho like I'm gonna have this vaginal birth it's gonna be great like I was not delusional about no drugs so I was like I definitely want the drugs but um it, once we tried to do the ECV which is where they try to flip them on the outside and that didn't happen and I found out I was going to have to have a plan C-section. I was just bawling. Like, I was very sad about it. It ended up being fine. But of course, recovery from a C-section is longer. So I felt like I was only just getting back to walking or maybe some light yoga by the time, you know, then I had to go back to work and start a new job and all that fun stuff. Did it bring you anxiety? Did it bring you sadness? What were the emotions around? Well, let's go back. Your son, your daughter, you had how much time in between? Let's talk about the emotional stuff um, around Ariel throughout that entire, entire journey. Yeah, so I was really proud of where I was uh, in my Ariel practice. I had started in 2009. The um, head instructor at the studio was an early adopter of pole dancing. And so they had these really awkward stage poles in their first studio because they hadn't even made ones for commercial practice that went floor to ceiling at that time. <laughs> and uh, it was very taboo. There was a postdoc in my lab that was so gung-ho. She would talk about it all the time. And me being, you know, Southern, my mom's very small family, I was like, who would want to talk about pole dancing? Like, oh, my God, like, what is this? And somehow... <laughs> Somehow she wrote me into doing just uh, like a trial class and I was immediately hooked. I was like, oh, this is fun. Like, you know, being a gym rat and doing the same thing every day just got boring. And, you know, then you're always working towards the next trick. <laughs> uh, <laughs> and it was just an exciting, exciting way to exercise. And the studio grew slowly over time. The next apparatus they brought in was Lyra, uh, Dance Trap Lyra, um, and I got really into that. And then we had a studio that only had 12-foot ceilings, and somehow we did silks and 12-foot ceilings. Um, so scary looking back on... <laughs> That's very low. Everything we did. It's very low. <laughs> that height. We've expanded from to lira to silks to sling to cordelise what city are you in again charlottesville virginia so we're pretty small although you being into poli sci have probably heard of us unfortunately for the riots that happened oh uh, <laughs> yeah yeah <laughs> so <laughs> there's that um yeah we used to we used to be on the top 10 list of you know like smaller cities to live because the the work-life balance is amazing here there's very little traffic we're close to the blue ridge mountains which is beautiful for hiking and outdoors but the university still has a lot of jobs and we have like major concert venue so you get like a good mix of small and big things going on Thoughts and feelings when you first got pregnant, uh, leaving your practice. First time. My husband and I got married in 2017. We knew we wanted to do a big honeymoon, but didn't have our act together. So we waited to start trying to have kids until 2018 because we wanted to do the honeymoon. And I thought, oh, this is going to take a couple of months. And of course, it happened like, boom, right away. <laughs> and uh, yeah, it was sad for me. I was training for a Lyra competition. Um, 
in DC and it was kind of crazy. I was practicing and I thought I've just been doing, cause I was doing some lion rolls, which I don't know if you know what that one is, but it's really ouchy. Yeah, on your I ribs, avoid those at all costs. <laughs> uh, it's, it's like one of I put in two of my nemesis moves uh with the lion roll and the meat hook split um again I would like I said I felt so proud I was like top of top of my game I was like, yes I've got these two moves I'm going to put them in a competition piece um and all of a sudden I just kept hurting myself mm. and I was like, what is going on like I felt like I had dislocated my shoulder. Or was like this before or after you knew you were pregnant? Before. Ah, uh, okay. Um, and um, I was having like all kinds of pain. And literally the night before the competition, I was in the ER thinking that I was having like an atopic pregnancy or something. Like something was really wrong. Like what's going on? They could never figure it out. Uh, the closest uh, explanation they gave me was maybe I was having implantation pain. Uh, I guess some women are very sensitive to when uh, the embryo implants in the uterus. Um, okay, so you went to the hospital, and when did you find out you're pregnant? I I was peeing on the strips, and it was, like, so faint that that's where I was like, I think I'm probably pregnant. Oh, I see. It doesn't, something doesn't feel right, or I didn't think it felt right. Okay. Um, yeah, so they, they went in. Oh, it was so hilarious because some tech tried to draw blood for me. I ended up like blood all down my arm because I guess he poked my vein and pulled the needle out. Oh my God. <laughs> I don't know. And they, they said they did a pregnancy test from that and I was negative. I was like, oh, well, if I'm not like the blood test says I'm not pregnant, then I must not be pregnant. I don't know what's going on. And then they took me back for more tests. And then later in the night, they were like, oh, no, actually, you are pregnant. <laughs> I'm like, who? who is running this show? Um, Why didn't they just do an ultrasound? It was still so only four, four or five weeks. Okay. In, okay. So I guess they couldn't quite tell. Okay. So you... St- did you do the performance the next day? I did. Of course you did. <laughs> so you did do it. You did the performance. And then, and then, and then what? Um, so I can't say I had a difficult pregnancy, but it, I wasn't able to continue very long. So your friend who works, um, who did all the chains performances and was talking about like most people fair feel very bendy with elastin yeah a fagin fagin harlow uh, or sorry with relaxin uh fagin harlow yeah i was completely the other way i so tight everything like became so inflexible i kept hurting myself my belly felt just so uncomfortably tight the whole time like before way long before i was showing like painful to do any kind of back bend um I had horrible sciatic where like I'd take a step and all of a sudden like my weight would give out on the one leg but no nausea no nausea um there's there's one thing there's one thing uh so I kept trying to do something up until I guess technically my last day was at 30 weeks so I I did like eke out a little bit up until 30 weeks But the, the women at my studio, they're kind of insane in a good way. Yeah. Okay. So they, they might, they might listen to this, but <laughs> like they're intense. Three, they're intense. Okay. Three of them had home births and like they continued dancing and basically until they actually had the baby. And so when I took a step back, they were, I don't know, kind of surprised not intentionally shaming me but kind of like you could still do it like mm. you're just you're just being sissy or I don't I don't even know the right word well their perspectives were different because they because their experience their was experience different. was yeah. different yeah <laughs> yeah 
so that was, that was also really sad for me because we had, I had expected based on when I was hoping to get pregnant that I was going to perform in our big showcase. We do a big showcase every year. And originally it was going to be in February and I would have been three or four months pregnant. So couldn't do everything, but at least I could have some part. And then the venue changed their availability and it was going to happen in June. So I had actually done all of the choreography. So I, I participate in one of my favorite things to perform is Lyra doubles. Oh, okay. And we do a quartet every year where we have two sets of uh, Lyra doubles going. And it's one of my favorite things to do. And I had choreographed the whole piece and then to find out that I had to like hand my baby off to other performers so they could do it mm. was really hard for me. They did a beautiful job, but then also if I'm not participating, they change things and you have to be okay with that when you've, you've given your choreography to other people who might have different strengths. Yeah. But I, I waddled into the, the performance eight months pregnant and I did the videography for it. Okay. <laughs> so I was, I was there. Uh, how did it feel to watch it? I don't know. They tried to make me feel included. They came up and they chatted with me, but it's not the same as being backstage and yeah. doing the costume changes and the makeup and all that fun stuff. Yeah. Not the same. So like, I think all of that added to that sort of, uh, I was telling you like depression before I gave birth. Yes. Because it was like just watching all of the things that I love to do in my free time. And not that like at that point, you still have the time. You don't have the kid yeah. next to you. Yeah. You just I didn't physically I couldn't physically do it. And my husband had that sort of feeling three months after our son was born because he was really big into CrossFit at the time. Mm. And he, he kept going um, even while I was on maternity, like my leave. And then as soon as my leave stopped, he then felt the impact of, oh man, I can't work out as much because we have this kid now. And I'm like, yeah, yeah, that's what happens. And so prenatal, were you having thoughts of when I do have the kid, am I also going to not be able to do this? Or was it, okay, as soon as I have the kid, six months later, I'll be back. No, no big deal. Blah, blah, blah. I think in that sort of negative um, thought thought process I was going through, I was giving up Ariel. Like, oh, okay. Like emotionally giving it up. Yeah. Because I knew, I knew even if I went back, so this gets to our main topic, that I wouldn't be able to go back the same way. So I, I've always been a generalist. Um, I like to do all apparatus. To probably to the detriment of perfecting one, but you know, being able to perform um, lira silks, I, I kind of gave up pole a couple of years ago because I just couldn't fit one more thing in my brain. Um, but I, I even performed um, uh, a few pieces cordelis, um, least favorite, by the way. <laughs> so hard. Yeah, I, so hard and it, it's it hurts. I I I I can only agree. I don't go for the hurdy hurdy ones. So no. So so I because I like to do them all like w when I was practicing before, you have to segment out your week. You can't do them all in 1 hour. Yeah. So it's I'd have to say at best I could do maybe two different apparatus apparatus in an hour at best mm -hmm. if I'm like really short changing so them were you kind of grieving micro grieving the apparatuses that would kind of have to go by the wayside yeah okay that makes sense yeah and I thought I was gonna I was trying to figure out what I would come back to and I I had in my brain that I was going to come back to silks, but silks was the hardest for me. Mm -hmm. So I actually have not, not performed silks in four or five years. Mm. 
especially because um, having the C-section, the abdominal work just of climbing oh, yeah. was too, too much for a long time. Uh, so I kind of dipped my toe back in with Lyra because once you get on a Lyra, you can spin and be pretty. You, until you get to the harder moves, you don't have to engage quite as much. And then thinking I was going to go back to, to silks, I started sling. Okay. Similar, you don't have to do as much climbing. Sure. Um, and I've kind of gotten stuck on sling. Sling is fun. Like, I'm having fun. Oh, hammock, hammock is amazing. Yeah. I love spinning on my hammock. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Love I spinning on the hammock. I don't like sharing on my hammock. You don't want to share, you don't want to share your hammock? No. <laughs> what if other people need to use it? No, oh, we're working on it. No, it was it was fun. I, I took my son to the studio on Sunday and to try to entertain him, I put an egg nut in a set of silks and I, I showed him how to swing around. <laughs> he was like, Mommy, mommy, let me show you how to do this thing. Oh, of course. <laughs> how like old is to, your son? He's like, I want to teach you. I'm like, oh, okay. Thanks. <laughs> how old is your son now? He's three and a half. Oh, so they're the same age. What what's his birthday? July 10th. July 10th. She's October 18th. So, so postpartum after your son. Yeah, I had switched jobs. So okay. still doing research science, but, you know, pressure to, to be there and perform for the new job. Okay. I had worked it out with my husband to practice an hour or two every weekend and he would watch the baby, which at the time when you have your first kid, your life is over with the kid until you realize that those first, I don't know, eight, nine months are that they stay put. So they're easy in that way. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so he was watching my son while I would go practice a little bit. And then the pandemic hit. Ooh. Luckily we have the location and the means that pretty quickly. You got a rig. I've been putting aside any money I make from performances as my like get a rig fund. Okay. And I was like, ah, I'm still like a grand away. And my husband was like, all right, just get it. <laughs> and did you run into the problem during the pandemic where there weren't any available to buy? I decided early enough that there was still a five-week wait. Okay. But they were there. He goes by Wolfie Metals. I love his stuff. He's made so much for me. Um, yeah, he was able to, to get one out by May. March to May, that's not bad. You always think when you have the rig at the house, it's going to be easier, but still. It's still, you have to carve out the time, yeah. Yeah. And how did he do with the second kid coming into the world? Oh, so second time around, I'm so happy. Enjoyed the, actually enjoyed the pregnancy. Um, because the first time I was just so worked up in the, how my life was going to change. Yeah. And now with the second one, I'm like, well, my life's already changed. So it's. <laughs> yeah. I mean, uh, what you're basically in a nutshell, we're talking about is that aerial identity shifting. Whereas for me, because I, you know, aerial is where my money comes from. Mm -hmm. I didn't have that experience because I felt like I, unless I wanted to change my actual job, yeah, I would be going back to it and I would have time to do so because I basically can train while I teach. So yeah. I did not have an aerial change of identity. My friends did not have an aerial change of identity. And we don't, we didn't, I have to say the fact that didn't even occur to me, even after thinking about it, of this means that I didn't have that at all because it would have occurred to me. Right. But that is like where you make your money. Yes. Right. So that, that is your job. You're going back to your job. Right. And I love, 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 love Ariel. Like I feel like I quote unquote blossomed when I found Ariel. Sure. Like I was pretty shy, sciencey, nerdy. And then I met, I, came to a studio and I, I always tell people I met my people yeah I met the women that became that have become like my best friends like closer than any friends I've ever had yeah in my whole life and 
So yes, I'm still a hobbyist uh, and I don't do it for money, but it, it, it does, it does take a hit. And the other hard thing for me is a lot of those really good friends I made, um, they are not in the breeder program. What do we mean that, by that? <laughs> they, they don't want to have kids. They're not in the breeder program. I've never heard that. And I'm going to steal it. That's amazing. Don't steal it. I'm going to steal it, Bean. No. If I steal that, will I go to jail? No. <laughs> With those aerial friends, I mean, they're listening probably, so hello. <laughs> Does it make it the relationship not the same in a way that like is sad? Yeah, it's it's tough because they're used to the old Laura who would take a long time to warm up and be chit chatty, mm -hmm. and, you know, hang out after, go to brunch, yeah, or whatever, whatever we do, and you know, I come and it's kind of like, all right, we're gonna go to work, let's do it. And then they're like, okay, we're going to go out to eat. And I'm like, my kid's not going to eat anything at that restaurant. So I'm just going to go home. <laughs> and is that sad for them and for you? Yeah. I've, some of them have definitely moved on and they've, they've expanded the group to incorporate more, more like-minded people. So like that, it's a little sad, but the two or three closest ones have really made an effort to one of my Lyra partners, she's so sweet. I love her to death. Uh, she came over for Christmas Eve and I was so nervous. I was like, you, you don't have kids. You've said you don't want kids. I can only assume you don't want to hang out with my kids. And she was like, no, it's fine. Like, this is great. <laughs> your, your studio friends, are you guys around the same age? No, I'm, I'm oddly in the middle. Okay. So I'm 30. 37. Um, I have a group that are mid forties, maybe turning 50. And then a lot of them are younger. So, so they might join the breeder program. I don't know. Some have taken some, uh, serious medical <laughs> steps, <laughs> steps to, make, to, sure to make sure that they have not, so, uh, they will yeah. not. Uh, okay. So this is so intriguing to me because it totally makes sense. Like my students might be in that category. I used to go out. I mean, we used to go to this restaurant called Mexicali's here in LA mm -hmm. after Wednesday night classes religiously, you know, I have my wine, I have my dinner, you know, drive back home. You know, I wasn't, I had my partner, but I didn't have a kid yet. So all that changed. But because I am the authority figure in that particular social setting, like it just changed the fact that I couldn't go out and they didn't, I was the leader of that pack because I was the authority figure. So that Mexicali's night just kind of disappeared. So I didn't have to ha go through the FOMO of like knowing something was happening without me. That was hard for me too, because when our head instructor uh, had her first child, she really leaned on me to lead the aerial program. Okay. And so I was teaching four or five classes a week, coming up with most of the choreographies for the Lyra, the Silks, like super creatively tapped out too, like <laughs> trying to, to, to manage all the different choreographies and apparatus in my brain. Was that way before you were pregnant though? Yeah, way before I was pregnant. Okay. And so I have had to watch, you know, then it's my turn. So she handed it over to me. Okay. And then I had my kids and I've had to, I guess, experience what she must have gone through. Like, sure. Because then I, I had to hand over most of my classes to other instructors. Like I was no longer the choreographer. So it, it does really feel like when you were pregnant kind of sitting, sitting on the sidelines and just watching people progress and move on and okay were you teaching while you're pregnant so I think people were mostly just polishing by the time I couldn't do any demos 
our students, like um, our students, we probably spoil them. They're very visual learners. So you, they're always like, can you, can you show us that again? <laughs> uh, I think you listen to my podcast. So you know how, how I, how I operate. Yeah. <laughs> kind of in the same way I'm recording this podcast, laying back in bed. <laughs> oh, this is so, inter- this is so interesting to me. So and I think to our audience, but maybe nobody else on earth. In conjunction with me being a pregnant teacher, having a kid, and my students not necessarily doing that, and them kind of following my lead in whichever way I wanted to go, because I also uh, taught pregnant just through video and spe- not not we weren't on video. I was in the space with them in person. But if they wanted to see something, I would pull out a video and I would mm-hmm. ask other students to demo and I would tell them what to do. And also was like, uh, if you can't take direction f- verbally, like, are you even an aerialist? <laughs> but, but do you run in? This is uh, this is my big problem uh-huh. with students I've worked with for a long time. Yeah. I say, and then do the thing, you know, and they know what I mean. Like, okay, do the thing. (laughs) Um, But a lot of times when we get new students or new people, the language is so difficult. Like if they've taken one class somewhere else or even like a year or two somewhere else. Yeah. You have a name for a move and it doesn't match. And, or they have a different move by the same name. So they're big. There have been so many attempts over the years to standardize. Like I know Rebecca Leach put out a really great book series for like lower level moves, yeah. trying to get the language out there. But I just a lot of times we make up our own names. And if I have a more advanced student in my class, I can be like, it's like this other move. Right. Except now, instead of wrapping this way, we're going to go around the waist that way. Yes. Uh, two things. I really try via like in Instagram when I'm watching other people do stuff and them naming it. In my mind, over time, I've tried to select the most universally used term for everything that I do. So mm-hmm. even if I had a different name for it, I think I had a different name for catcher's base wrap. You know, just okay. same side hook over the other leg, put your pants on. Pants on. I, mm-hmm. I would adopt the more universally used name just for this reason. But I think studio culture comes in a lot for this question. I get to the point with my, with the loft, which is my, where I teach the most that I'll use, I'll use language. Like if you'd like to become a part of my cult. And so I, I will adopt people into a regular practice and that makes my whole life easier. Right. I don't have a lot of people popping in and then really just popping in and out. If I had that, that would be really problematic for the way I teach, I think. So another interesting part of of where I am is we are a smaller city. We do get a lot of our clientele from the university. So they're either undergrads or grad students. Okay. And I find that we attract so many of the science grad students. I don't know, like the brain waves are working, like they want to get their creative juices out and they, they come here. And then when they're done with their program, they leave and they go somewhere else. You know who was talking about this? Allie Cooper, because she lives in Santa Cruz a place where no one can afford to actually live. And then it's a student, it's a student um, population. So her rate of turnovers was just incredibly high. And she was talking about that. Yeah. It's really hard for us to, to keep instructors too. Um, because the instructors are coming from that same pool of people. They're coming from the same pool of people. Um, we only charge... I don't, I'm not sure how much you charge at the loft. You only charge like $22 a person. Um, in our aerial space, we can only have a max of six. Oh yeah. So you can't, you just can't make that much money in one hour there. Yeah. You can't make that much money. Um, it was always a source of contention because, you know, we we're spending so much time and it felt like don't, it felt like a donation of our time. Like now that I have kids, I couldn't even teach 
for the amount I would have to pay a babysitter. Yes. I um, I feel that. Yes. So it just, and you have your commute. So for me, the commute is almost nothing, but the pay is, is way, way less. <laughs> you know what? One of my, uh, one of my guests, she's from Utah. She's from Ogden, Utah. I remember that because that's where I send my taxes, Ogden, Utah. And she was saying that, oh, it was Holly Ann. It was Holly Ann Jarvis. She was saying that like Ariel, like they've just not gotten their act together in Utah to actually charge more for Ariel. Mm-hmm. Partially because anytime you're raising rates, there has to be like a community consensus, like a people would agree to pay that much, right? Yeah. We're, we are the only option in a one hour radius. Okay. So if you're, uh, if you guys decided to up your rates to $30 per class, what would happen? So it was a, an interesting experiment over the pandemic. So we couldn't have classes. So they only offered semi-privates, which they charge more for semi-privates than they do for the class. And apparently the studio made way more money than it's ever made. As an instructor, you still pay uh, to take a class. So it it was hurting our self-interest. We we're like, well, this is proof of concept that we can charge more. And we still have a clientele pool. We might not have as deep of a clientele pool, but the studio will do fine. You know what I've what I've seen uh over time with studios in LA? LA is different. It's a different monster because, you know, once Ariel Physique started charging $40 per drop-in. Yeah, it's a lot. It became normalized over the, in the entire city, as well as also taking into consideration that, for example, hot yoga, I am a huge hot yoga fan, and I have my membership because I won't get rid of it, because if I do, hot yoga, single class, now costs like $26. Yeah. And they can put as many people in the room as they can fit in there, Right. So with that as a comparison, a 10-person, you know, a $40 class doesn't seem like so much. It doesn't make me not want to go if the price is a little it, still in the range of making sense-ish. It, it, it actually brings its worth up for me psychologically. The other thing that I realized made my transition so different. It was really hard identity wise, but for me, it was more about, um, the amount of things in my life that I used to be able to do that I can't, but it really, Ariel really, really wasn't part of that. And along with the transition, which made it way easier than me for me, than maybe for you or for other people was that I have a friend group of seven of us, all professional aerials. And six of us have had kids in the same time. Mm-hmm. the person who it was probably hardest for is the seventh person in my group <laughs> because we all became moms. Our lives changed completely. And she actually became single at that time. She had a huge breakup. Ah, got it. And so pandemic was there. She was going to through that entire breakup and we couldn't even like sit and have wine together because we couldn't be in the same room. And we all had kids at the same time, like that support structure that was around me was incredible. And I know not everybody has that. The head of the studio, she has two kids. Her youngest is the same age as my oldest. So she can relate to me a little bit more. Um, The others of the older generation I said I was friends with their kids, if they had kids, their kids are like, much older, like college older. Yeah. Um, so they're in a different stage of their life. They're going out again, having fun. And they're like, ah, you're in the weeds. You'll come out of it eventually. And then my single friends or younger friends who have decided not to be in, in the breeder program, <laughs> uh, <laughs> they're, they're still of the mindset, like there's infinite time, like what shows are we going to watch? Like, what are we going to do? Let's go have have a drink and like I would love to do all those things but it's uh I also encourage all studio owners and teachers out there to charge more money it's hard to, <laughs> like I've been in this for a while where I'm like 
trying to set my own rates because I'm more freelance than anything else. And it is such an, that's so hard to know what your value is. I know it's such an exercise in self-worth. Yeah. And it's, I've, I feel like it's harder as a woman and I don't know why it's still harder as a woman, but I I just notice it. I know it's a, I think, I think the reason why I'm stronger in this now is because I have a bunch of women around me who we basically just cheerleaded each other on in this charge more, charge more, charge more, because Mm -hmm. it's so hard to do it for some unearthly godly reason. I have no idea why, Because people, you know, what is the worst feeling when I have in the couple cases where I've had a man paying me for their kid or for some reason, and I give my rate and they're like, oh, that's so, that's so low. Cool. And I'm like, ah, (laughs) (laughs) well, I'm glad it goes that way for you. We're always getting like, Hey, my kid has a birthday party. Could you and like five aerialists come? For no, like we have that too. $50? We have that too. <laughs> Trust me. But, but I have to say for you guys out there listening, there's a reason why I get less of that now. I, after I shifted that mentality, I don't get those people asking me to do a lot for so little. And it is... I mean, that might net less asks and less requests. But if you're not going to say yes to them anyway, it doesn't matter. Yeah, I don't know if it's better or worse for you in L.A. So like in Charlottesville and in in Virginia in general, I think it's almost most of the East Coast. Um, Ariel is still not. It's not as common. Yeah. And so when, when people ask for gigs, they have no idea what to expect. Right. And so when, when we right. give them what we think is, you know, kind of already kind of lowballing ourselves, but we have to cover insurance. We have to at least throw yes. some money into the performers, even though it's mostly just for fun. Um, everyone gets kind of like sticker shock. Yes. And okay. we, there's, there's not as much competition here, but there's also not as much demand. But I feel like where you are, there's a ton of competition. So I don't know if you're getting undercut a lot in LA because they're just more people who perform or. So I have to say that my students who are now performing clubs, they are doing jobs that me and my friends will not do for the rate yeah. that they're doing it for. And maybe that's fully accurate. Maybe that's the way it should be. Because I will not go do a club gig, be away from my bean, or get a babysitter for her to do aerial underpaid. Mm-hmm. So that work goes to those people, and it should. And then over time, the right work, you end up with the right work, but it is less asks. You do get asked less. But the people that are still at the jobs where the money is right, it seems like this over time works. I have to say, I've heard this a lot from cities that are not LA and Vegas. And I think that it might be the case where you guys will get there, but it won't be for another couple of years. Yeah. But I mean, we had... We had maybe four gigs that we could count on regularly every year, and we loved it. There was a local film festival. We would always do the rap party. There was a first night. We would always do First Night Virginia. We would always, um, for a couple of years, we were invited to do Capital Pride. That was that was so much fun. And that was like the most money for the least amount of work. I loved that one. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, but as time has gone on, like it's actually it seems like there are even fewer ass. So we, we will still get those big ones, but we're just like, can we get something else? Like anything? Like, <laughs> Yeah. I mean, it's, it's a really interesting conversation because every single city, you know, big city, smaller city, it's going to have different, different challenges. And of course, if you feel like the ass don't come very often, how can you charge 
Yeah, then you, you feel know. like you have to like yeah. reduce it a little. Uh, the titration. It's not good. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. Let, uh, out there, listeners, if you guys want to contribute to this conversation, just email me because uh it's it's easy carry it wrap your head around silks.com because i would love to talk about this um i'm you know i now have a house in delaware i would love to do retreats out there in the future when the house is ready but you know this question comes in you know it's it's like you're you know i'm no longer in my own community bubble things are different um People's expectations are different. People's expectations of how much, thing, much things cost is different, um, et cetera. But the excitement is there, I think. I think that people are always looking for new things to do. Laura, thank you so much for carving out the time with your with your little ones. And uh, I'm, I'm very intrigued. I think there will be a lot of people who are intrigued by this conversation. Definitely no one else in the world, though. <laughs> <laughs> Just us. Just our people. Thank you so much to Laura for carving out the time. Dr. Laura, I should call you. Um, I know you are a, a busy woman and I appreciate that. And for all you guys out there, teacher training in June, as well as I've got aerial rehab on my website. Um, it is a course all about getting back to the air after pregnancy post um, post-injury surgery, or if you just took a long break, you know, during the pandemic and such. And there's a free mini course there as well. So please honor me with a five-star rating and a review. Just smash that five stars. It's so fast. Please, please. Um, I will love you forever. I hope you guys have the, a great rest of your week. Over and out. This is Carrie from Wrap Your Head Around Silks with Digit Podcast. This is the Expecting Your Rest. Mm-hmm.